We're bringing you all you need to succeed in the real estate business. It's Spilling the LT, brought to you by Lawyer's Title, telling you what it's really like to work in real estate. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Tamara Gady. Today, we're going to talk about real estate trends in DFW. But first, if you like my content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let me have an opportunity to talk to you about your title needs. You can reach out to me on any of my social media platforms, and I would love to help you with any, any anything real estate related. So very excited to have a, a repeat guest on the podcast today. I have with me Lance Taylor. He's with the Taylor team. He is a top producing team owner and entrepreneur. He ended 2022 with 80 million in production, and he leads a, t- a real estate team of 16 agents. Uh, but that is not all he does. And we were just talking about that before we got started with the show. That he is very diverse in his um, investment uh, vehicles, and so we'll tap into some of that today. But first, I want to welcome Lance. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank good you to for see you me. again. Good to as see you always. As well. Always great to partner with you, and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me as well. So let's go ahead and get started. You know what? I'm going to change question number one. I told you that I might go off topic here and I'm going to start out off topic. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, let's let's kind of set the stage for where we are right now. And we can set the stage not just with um, what the current real estate market looks like, but also um, let's talk about some trends and sure. what you're seeing. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of a A-B question, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, in terms of just the, you know, things have changed a little bit, right? We've gone through this crazy 2020, 21, uh, 21 is a really good in real estate things ramped up. And then you have a lot of, you know, government intervention right now to try to get all this back under control. Yeah. The inflation, all the dollars that we're giving out during that time to kind of support and prop up companies. And, uh, although, you know, they were protecting the, the downfall damage at that time, you know, now we've got the flip side problem, which is just crazy inflation. And so you're seeing a tightening of, you know, credit, which of course affects the housing industry, but also affects businesses. Um, it affects a lot of, you know, real estate elsewhere in the commercial and industrial spaces too, when, when rates are higher, you know, as they are right now. And, you know, hopefully as this inflation gets under control, we'll see rates, you know, start to drop back down and get to, I mean, a more uh, advantageous area for investors, you know, like myself. From your lips to God's ears. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Uh, but, um, you know, also is there's, you know, I think there's more fear in the market right now um, in general of what the future looks like. You know, we were going on kind of this upswing, just growth in general uh, from 15 to 20. And then this crazy event happens, right? And all of a sudden, no one really knows what the trend line is going to pick back up on. Sure. <clears throat> and so I think that's it's causing some interesting effects. You know, most of uh, the friends that I'm connecting with you in the you know entrepreneur side or investor side, they're they're wanting to sit on a little more cash because there's certainly going to be opportunities that fall out from this. You know, we're tracking even the you know commercial real estate market too, and. Um, in 2021, people are paying higher and higher prices for apartment complexes, for example. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those didn't put rate caps on them. And so no one exactly knew that rates would go up to where they did. And it's causing some you know, upside down cash sure. flow scenarios. Well, of course, not everybody can withstand that for a long period of time. It depends on the reserves. 
So again, I think everyone's just kind of preparing for really great opportunities, which is the exciting part of it. Uh, the downside of that is those opportunities come from others that maybe couldn't hold on to what they had. So I think we'll see a lot of partnerships and mergers and acquisitions, you know, from that perspective too. Um, and there'll be some really good win-wins out of that. You know, it's really interesting that you say that, <clears throat> excuse me, because I think that trickles down to residential real estate in more, in more than one way. You know, we've seen a really big dip in the luxury market, right? There's yep. not a lot of activity. I'm waiting for the luxury market to come back. Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. there's not a lot of activity in that. But, but, but from the conversations that I've had with those agents that deal with those higher price point portfolios, it's everybody's wanting to hold on to their cash because they, the fluctuations of the stock market and, the, and their portfolio packages as a whole because of what's happened, right? It, Yep. And, and then we're seeing the upside downness in the residential, you know, people bought 100k over ask, now they have to sell and they want their money back out of it, right? Right. <clears throat> and so what you're saying, it's so funny how one segment, one vantage point in the market can affect so many other things, right? It's all connected, especially you talk about luxury, like who makes up the luxury sellers and buyers, typically business owners. Right. Um or, you know, higher up executives. And so on the business owner side, you know, if they are locked into a really great interest rate right now, let's just say they may not want to sell and move things around when they're in the midst of business opportunities. They want to mm -hmm. keep personal kind of separate. Let's just really, you know, stay forged ahead on the business opportunities. Um, and then when it comes to people buying in the market, you know, sometimes in luxury, they're all cash and they're rolling in, you know, late stage kind of business owner. They've sold off a company and, you yeah. know, that's all good. But if they're in the midst of their business portfolio, they don't want to necessarily take on a lot of debt. They could diminish their other opportunities. So, okay, so let's expand on that. What? And I'm not trying to pigeonhole you here or, or sure. make you bring out your crystal ball because I know it's you know we don't have one. Nope. But the conversation you're having with these business owners, do they have an idea of what they think a timeline might be for some of those? They're positioning themselves for a future opportunity, right? So what does their timeline look like, or what are they setting up for? I think that you know this whole uh, you know Fed raising interest rates. Um, that whole piece and watching inflation, that's a really big indicator yeah. for a lot of them. It depends on the industry, of course. Sure. Um, you know, I think the other piece is that there's a lot of just unrest. You know, we have an election year coming up next year. So, you know, it'll be Lord interesting as yeah, more of that <laughs> starts to settle in. They're going to know where to put their resources. They're going to know where to start interjecting those resources. So, you know, there may be, you know, between now and November of next year, you know, there may be a little floating period. And, uh, and so I, I don't know exactly when that launching point will sure. be. So. Well, but you brought up an interesting point because typically we see a pause when an ele in a presidential election is coming up, right? Right. And so it may be – and look, everything that we've talked about is 2023 is – we don't know. <laughs> Correct. And 2024 yeah. is going to be better. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm sticking with the same plan. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's really interesting that you say that it may be a holding period. I'm, I'm going to put that little feather in my cap for later because I'm an investor too. <laughs> and yeah. I've been sitting on the sidelines myself. I mean, look, I get, I get contacted with investment opportunities on a regular basis. And some of them have been quite painful because that I've had to pass them up because you know, I'm, I've got my funds going into a different investment vehicle right yeah. now while I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, it's highly possible because my risk tolerance is not very high that I'm going to lose out on some really great opportunities while I'm doing this. But teeing things up, I mean, that's that's what people like you are saying is we're teeing things up for it, a year from now. It's a good time to be patient. You know, I don't think you have to force things to happen. 
Um, you know, I think there, a lot's been learned after the last couple of years and, you know, people going into investment opportunities that just weren't as fruitful as they'd hoped for a myriad of reasons. So it's a good time to be patient. Now, there's still things, unfortunately, that happen that create great opportunities. And, you know, so the unfortunately, the divorce rates are a little higher right now. Right. Okay. Um, you know, so in unfortunately, our baby boomers, some of those, you know, are are looking to divest from things and they just want simplicity in their life, right? Um, so there's some distress happening because there's a squeeze that's happening for certain individuals, right? When they don't have the liquidity they need, they have to get rid of some. Sure. Some so you, you probably want to be patient to find more of those. Hey, this is just all the, all the uh, stars are aligning on this particular opportunity. Then you can pull the trigger, but I just don't think we need to force things to happen right now because right. there will be more opportunity that, that arises and more than likely late this year. Well, I, you know, hindsight's 2020. And, and of course you can't, you know, the only, I don't regret things in my life, but the, the one time I wish I was positioned correctly as an investor, you know, was back in the 08, 09. To, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dang it. Well, we may not be here today if uh, we position ourselves correctly. We'd be doing this in Costa Rica. Yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> or somewhere else equally as fabulous. But, you know, I mean, there is something too. I, I, I always watch people, people smarter who I consider smarter than me. Okay. More plugged in, more um, in tune with what higher level investors are doing because I, I want to ride on the, that hotel stuff, right? Watch what they're doing. And I'm, I'm happy Model to plagiarize. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back on, on point. Okay. Let's, we, we kind of talked about what some of the trends are going to look like over the next year. Let's kind of dive into the residential real estate market a little bit, especially with you coaching your team right now. Let's talk about, because we're in Collin County, mm -hmm. and um, we are seeing, in particular areas, that aggressive market is back. Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very, very specifically to, you know, these really low inventory markets that are sought after, you know, the Allens and, you know, Carrollton kind of goes over on the, the Denton side. Those markets have been really speedy. Um, certain opportunities in Frisco and McKinney and Prosper have been really speedy, especially when things are make ready and fully done. You know, the, the higher the condition, uh, you know, has the backyard fully finished out with the pool and all that type of thing. Those are the ones that people dive on because it costs more to actually set all that up these days, too. No kidding. And, and it takes time and energy. And I think one thing that people took out of the last couple of years is that sometimes you do just have to seize the seize the opportunity. Yeah. Seize the day. Let's just live like we need, we want to now if we can afford to do that. And so you want those, those folks are kind of wanting that more that make ready opportunities completely done. They, they don't have to do anything. Those opportunities go super fast. Now, the ones that, um, you know, are at market price and just don't quite have the condition or just no zeal to it. No, those may not move as quick. Um, and then of course the ones that are overpriced or, you know, way under on the condition side, that's the ones that sit. So if we're, if we're tracking data, you know, we like to track our little market watch and, yep. And specifically in Collin County, right, we'll see this kind of natural cycle where there'll be, you know, somewhere between 270 listings over a seven-day period, right? And 230 of those just went under active option. So we're not gaining a lot of ground in terms of our inventory right, right now, right. but we're in a May market. Okay. Um, and so, you know, this is typically the highest activity in the year happens in May. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the best time to sell or buy. It just means it's the highest activity. Everything culminates in likely because of the school year timing, you know, ending and you know, going into the summer, that's when folks like to move or relocate with, with job positions. So 
you know, I'm not surprised to see the activity the way it is currently. But if we aren't able to catch up with the inventory side, which of course is we have sellers not wanting to sell because of their great interest rates, they don't want to move up or move down at this time. Um, and then also we have the builders that kind of stutter stepped this past, you know, June, July of last year. They kind right. of stutter stepped. They, yeah, they, yeah. they saw the market's going to slow down. Hey, maybe we don't want to throw so much inventory on the ground. Well, it just so happens we're eight to 10 months later when a lot of the inventory be coming due. So there's not quite as much of that on the build side too. Which is causing, I think, this a little bit of a, uh, a supply crunch in certain areas. What are you? Are you plugged in with new construction right now? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, what are you seeing out of the builders right now? I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about the L builder that nobody yeah. likes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as far as um, what sort of activity is actually happening, long I'm hearing longer build times, two years to complete a house. I'm hearing. Um, I, but I don't know, like, as far as accepting contracts on new houses, are they back to the constrained ways that they were doing things two years ago? What do you, it's not to the got? same effect, you know, like, you know, two years ago, you were seeing like 300 people on a waiting list right, right. to get into a home or neighborhood, like the top, you know, newest neighborhoods, you may see a little bit of that, right? You get the fields in Frisco, like sure. a really, um, a lot of excitement because the PGA is there and all the new development. But, um, in general, actually build times are shrinking back down. Um, they're not having the supply issues they had before. You know, supply costs have come down. Lumber has come down yeah. some. Doesn't mean it's like, you know, they're not, <laughs> builders are smart too, right? They're going to sure. hold what they have because they don't know what's going to happen in the future. But it's not as extreme as it was before, you know, where it took a year. They would tell you it was going to take a year and it actually took, you know, 14 to 16 months. And then they cancel your contract and put the house back on the market for $100,000 more. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, that's what that's the kind of stuff we need to avoid. That bullishness on the builder side has, has gone away. Okay. Um, but I will say the foot traffic in, in a lot of the areas that we're tracking into the models has been heavy. So there's still a really consistent demand for the builders. But I think they learned a few lessons, too, because things fell off really, really quickly for them, too. Yeah. And, and uh, But, you know, uh, because materials are going down and material timelines are coming in quicker, I think it'll it'll start to stabilize that particular market. Okay. Um, you, you know, I've, I just heard the other day, which surprised me, um, there was a builder that's reputable in the area, and they're building in six to seven months again. Which was six to seven months, okay. And that was, you know, twenty, you know, nineteen. You could build a home in, right. in six to seven months when, when you know, all the selections were made and everything's up and running. So permitting, you know, is kind of catching back up a little bit in a lot of markets too. So, um, you know, I, I think that we'll probably see that eight month kind of average timeline pick back up on our more of our spec builds. Of course, custom is, is still going to totally be in that. Yeah. yeah. 12 to 18 months is more common. You just moved up into a neighborhood in Salina, very popular, uh -huh. um, high end neighborhood. What are you seeing in Mustang Lakes? Mustang Lakes is slowed a little bit in terms of how fast things are selling, but there for a while it became, I think it had enough mass in terms of the people that are living in it that had friendships and were bringing them into the neighborhood. And so a lot of times these master plan neighborhoods, that's what drives their growth. They get to kind of a critical mass and all of a sudden people want to move in the neighborhood, not just because it's an amazing neighborhood, but because their friends are there. Yeah. And we saw that in Windsong. They want to do life together. Yeah. yeah Windsong's the same scenario, light farms. Yep. Um, you know, and also this other piece that I've never really seen before, these master plan communities have a full range of house values. So you have kind of entry-level price points, but then you have – it goes all the way up. So you see a lot of intermoving within these master plan communities. Someone's mm. like, hey, we're – you know, our family's growing. We need more space. We yeah. want something different. Our careers have continued to advance. We don't want to move outside the neighborhood, but we do want to, 
you know, be in a larger home on a larger lot within the same neighborhood and still be close to our friends. That's interesting. So it's an interesting phenomenon. It really started, I saw in light farms first. Okay. Um, and now we're seeing that happen in Mustang. You know, of course, Winsong's got a whole back section with, oh, yeah. you know, higher end homes, high, you know, large lots. It's beautiful back there. And so they've got this, you know, critical mass of buyers already built in to their system. You know, it's interesting. So I, um, I happened to be on the radar for the Solana Economic Development uh, Center director, which I'm very, that's a very good place to be. Great contact. Yeah. <laughs> and so she invited me to the annual roundtable, the EDC roundtable, and they did a bus tour. Uh, they did a little bus tour of Solana and where stuff is going and what's coming. Let me tell you something, Lance. It is incredible what Solana is doing in development. It's just, it's unbelievable. And there's a community coming just north of me, 6,900 units. Legacy Hills. Yeah, Legacy Hills. Yeah, so, um, you know, the the developer of Mustang Lakes, um, Matt and his team, they've got two other, they have Cambridge Crossing that's already moving really good. Yeah, and then they have the parks that's just opened up of Salina, just north kind of off the outer loop. And it is, they had sold, I mean, they barely had the water in the lakes, you know, they're yeah. building the development and they had 60 something homes sold already. Wow. And it's just dirt is all you see. And that whole area around there, there's probably 4,000 acres kind of around that area that's completely flat and ready to develop. So there's a lot of inventory coming to Salina. Yeah, there's a lot. That new, the new, the new hype is Mosaic, the Mosaic master plan. Yeah. So I think it's Craig, I can't remember his last name, the guy that did Winsong. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yes. doing mosaic. Uh, yeah, Craig. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, um, is it Craig? It's Craig. Yeah, it, it Craig. I think you're right. Yeah, anyway, but anyway, yes, the same developer that yeah. did Winsong well, is going to do mosaic. These developers, I mean, they're figuring out this formula that works really, really well. And so when you see, you know, even you know Blue Star when they did Star Trail. Yeah, it was already going to be successful because they already had you know Starwood originally, Star Creek, which was really successful over in Allen. So they're building these formats um, that just attract people, and they have a success track record that everybody believes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it tends to do well. So same thing I think for like I said Craig, and, and same thing for Matt with Mustang. But these are on another level on these developments, and and Salina is really well poised because they've got the you know the gigabit city, they've got all the yep. uh, fiber already running through. They're certainly aligned with the tollway. That's another yep. really important piece, um, and it's just a big, wide open, flat landmass, easy to develop, um, big tracts of land available for development too. So it was kind of the perfect storm. Um, and, and honestly, this land grab has been going on for quite some time. But I've just seen this major uptick in the last probably month or two of construction vehicles, concrete. I'm constantly following concrete trucks up and down (laughs) this parkway. Me as well. Um, And so there's been a really big uptick in the amount of construction that's coming in over the last couple of months. So I found that to be – and maybe maybe I'm feeling it a lot because that hospital, the new hospital is going to go in in the corner of Dallas Parkway, and it's FM – is it FM 423? It's FM something. I'm not good with the number streets. Just name it something. Anyway, so there's that hospital that's going in right there. And look, I I applaud Salina for a lot of the infrastructure that they built in advance of all of this development coming. They had transportation people from TxDOT and NTT on the panel, they were talking about how they bought the extension land that they needed to expand. They're laying the utilities in preparation for the future so they don't have to tear apart everything when they need to expand Dallas Parkway. So smart. I mean, the way that they're laying this out, it's really going to be a lot smoother 
than it could have than it than it we've seen in the past when Dallas does expansion on the tollway. You know, they just rip everything to shreds, right? I think you know it's interesting. You have Plano, which is this huge development corridor, right? And and then you know Frisco got to learn from Plano, so then Frisco grows and develops. Remember, they had like the billion dollar mile back right, in the day. Right. Well, now it's the five billion. Now who knows? It may it's be ten billion by billion. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or fifty. And so they have these models of success very close, and the individuals who actually were part of that development, the planning process. And so they're, they're, they're standing on the shoulder of giants. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's what I see Salina as is a huge landmass to be developed, but they're standing on the shoulders of all this development that just happened in Frisco and they seem to be dialed in. Well, and they even said, we contacted Frisco, we contacted, you know, people in the, in, that have gone through major expansion. Yeah. They've contacted those cities and said, what went wrong? What went right? And they've, they've correct. They've been able to uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Right. I would say there's probably not that many cities in America that are experiencing this type of growth this yeah. fast. Yeah. And Salina is certainly one of them. Um, you know, we're not, the faucet has not turned off on the demand side coming into Dallas Fort Worth. We're still growing, you know, we're leading the nation and growing jobs and fortune 500 com uh, companies. And I don't see that trend slowing down because there's just this massive momentum that's building yeah. up. Yeah. Well, let's kind of get back to talking about your team and, and moving down the road this year with the team. I have a question. So how do you, how are you keeping your team on track and motivate, motivated right now? Cause it is a challenging market, right? It, it certainly is. I mean, we, uh, a team all performs on habits. And so the habits that we're creating in the last two years, unfortunately are not the habits that we need to have right now uh, to be very successful. So, you know, as humans, right, we develop habits, we get comfortable in that. And then we expect the same results over time. When the market shifts, this habit change is, is a laggard kind of measure. It, it takes a while to get used to, oh, I need to do new activities. I have to increase my activity even to do the same level of business I did before. Same things happening with a lot of teams. <laughs> Across the board, right? And so I think that's the biggest challenge for us is, you know, how do we um, show the evidence as the market is shifting? How do we show that evidence and get the buy-in so that they go, oh, I get it. I need to make habit changes now so that we can continue to be successful and grow. And that's the biggest, honestly, you know, that's the biggest issue we're going through. Can you give me some, uh, give me a specific example or two? Yeah. So, I mean, how we get business, um, you know, usually it's either a prospecting based team or a marketing based team or a hybrid. Right. And so, you know, of course, when we started our team, we were all prospecting based. Yeah. It's lower cost to do that, uh, but it's a lot more time and energy. And so as you continue to grow and have success, you know, your marketing engine can grow and then you get more attractor, you know, opportunities that come in. So as we were scaling the team, you know, in 2020 and 21, a lot of those opportunities just came into us. And the market also had a really natural lift. People were just coming. They're, they're buying a property no matter yep. how many multiple offer scenarios yep. they need to, to yep. fight through. And, and of course, sellers, you know, they're coming knowing, hey, we can sell our home pretty quick, but we're going to go with the team that we have the most trust in still. And so a lot of that business just came to us. And so unfortunately, the prospecting cycle slows down because you're just servicing, servicing, servicing. Yep. Yep. And, it, and it does, of course, take a lot of time to service those. I mean, it took a lot longer to put a buyer under contract. So the habits that the agents built was, you know, showing properties, writing contracts, consulting through that, not so much continuing the prospecting cycle. Sure. And so specifically, that's what needed to increase um, is more higher connection rate. Uh, there's just less individuals right now that 
um, may want to sell because of the things we talked about before, the interest right. rate pieces too. And um, and then in terms of the buyers, it's there's a little skepticism. There's a higher interest rate. It's like they're a little more fickle, a lot more contracts falling apart um, in general. So you have to have just a bigger base of connecting to individuals. It's really about getting, you know, face-to-face and connecting and guiding people through. And my gosh, the news is all over the place, right? So if anybody's watching the news, they're confused as can be. Oh, of course. They don't know what to expect. Oh, so. of course. Well, and the one thing that everybody has to keep in mind is that the news is national news, right? It's, Correct. It's on, it's, the, it's on a national stage. What's happening nationally isn't what's necessarily happening here, right? So I think that's a big um, conversation that you guys have to it's that continued education. One of the things that, I mean, I've got a couple of clients like you that put on these really large scale client appreciation events and that you're very consistent about those. And it was something that's, in, it's interesting because, you know, when I first started in the business, those were not a thing. I mean, we had client appreciation events for you, right? <laughs> right. but you guys had broker opens and open houses and stuff like that. I mean, obviously you still do those things, but the client appreciation event for my for realtors mm-hmm. to have for their clients is something that I've seen kind of come online in the last five or six, maybe five or six years. And you've been doing yours pretty consistently for several years, very consistently for several years now. What what kind of do you have any idea of what kind of ROI you're getting from those? Is it more client retention or is it prospecting opportunities as well coming through the door for those things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to quantify it exactly, but you know, yeah, didn't said the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so if, I, I couldn't tell you exact ROI numbers right on on sure. that type of business. But here's what we can say is that you know we're creating something of value. The invite is the easiest phone call to make. It's sure. the easiest uh, thing to do when people feel invited. They want to come and be a part of our community. So we value that we know that when they get in the community too their needs are going to rise they're going to say hey i you know they need help with whatever it is and it's our job to make sure we're taking care of those needs when they arise and so the more often we can get together and and build up this you know community our belief is that we're going to build trust too. we're getting more face-to-face time we want to serve in that way and take care of our clients um, no matter what their need is but sometimes they just aren't you know you maybe we haven't seen them a little bit and so yeah. they just aren't as open to just call all the time or text but then they come to an event and they go oh my goodness here's what we're thinking about doing yep and so it gets us back in conversation face to face so we really value that type of connection we feel like that's how real estate should be done i agree i mean we've been doing it for years so. yeah <laughs> I've been doing it for 15 years, Lance. (laughs) We're we're following your model. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about, um, I want to tap into real quick about, you've you've been very well, uh, very good at diversifying your business, having multiple, you can call it a million different things, but income streams and having your, diversifying past just traditional real estate. Do you want to talk about any of that? Yeah. Talk about uh, your experience, how that. So I, you know, I I grew up in a real estate family in in a really, really small town. And so, you know, my father had been the broker. He's now, you know, over 45 years, you know, as a broker and um, the business wasn't always there. And so he had to diversify into, you know, building, into buying units and renting, you know, properties out into development. And so I, I think there's probably, you know, some innate piece in me that I saw that. And I thought, you know what, T- times are not always going to, you know, produce exactly what you need. You need to have, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, basically, sure. right? So, you know, in 20, you know, 16, 2017 timeframe, um, I was going with every ounce of energy I had um, into real estate, trying to grow, trying mm-hmm. to develop. And um, I was really, truly concerned there could be a burnout moment. 
to be honest. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Um, I really need to be diligent in taking some of these resources and planting seeds in some other areas that will, will that will create, you know, passive income over time. No one knows what the future is going to be, you know, about. But um, at the end of the day, I don't want to get, you know, we, we've worked really hard. We don't want to get into times where it's tougher and cash flow dries up. Sure. And so, I, unfortunately, I would say it probably started from a little bit of a place of fear. It's just, hey, what if something happens and I'm not able to provide for my family in the way that I was before? I also was able to see other agents that had been in the business 20 or 30 years and nothing wrong with that at all, but they didn't have an exit plan. They didn't right. have an out. They didn't have any choices to make. And a lot of them don't have any money saved. You know, they it, can't get out, right? That's it. And that's that's kind of been a challenge in the industry because they're really good at sales, but they're not, they have not adapted themselves to be great investors um, or, you know, learning other business opportunities that would kind of counterbalance a real estate slowdown. I even talk to real estate agents, you know, sometimes that are get, getting towards that point. And I'm like, do you, have you created a sellable business? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times the answer is, I, do, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't have a CRM. I don't have my data. And what, you know, all the basics that you have to do to create a business. Right. Yeah. And even, a, you know, in real estate, a real estate team is not super valuable as an asset. If sure. you sell it and the, the person, the entrepreneur steps out. Right. Because there's a brain attachment. Now it certainly can and happen. you're the rainmaker. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's certainly some great stories, even in our market that have worked out really, really well on that, but it's, it's challenging to produce that. So really, you know, we view real estate as kind of a, I can say this kind of more of a cash machine that can fund other longer term assets. Sure. Um, and not so much as an asset itself that's going to be, you know, have value 10 years in the future. Same. <laughs> yes. So that means we can't just be realtors, right? right. We actually have to retool ourselves and learn um, from an investor standpoint. How do we create a return on those hard earned dollars that we've made? And how does that pay out passive income over time? Sure. And if, if you don't learn that, then you've committed to being on the real estate income path of having to make more and more each year. What do you think step one is? To me, it's stay in your, you know, go with what you know and and purchase real estate as an investment property. The, yeah. And that's the biggest tragedy in our business is that there are, you know, millions of agents that for all their life will sell, you know, lots and lots of real estate, but never themselves will actually invest in any one of them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've learned from other people who are much smarter than I am in this area, but they call it like a deal hierarchy. And so instead of going in with a listing mindset, for example, you go in with, hey, the first thing I'd like to do is be able to buy this house. If I can't buy this house, uh, could I control it in some form or fashion, right? That's mutually beneficial uh, for all parties. If I can't do that, could I, you know, potentially wholesale or flip the property? Is there an opportunity there? And then number four, the last one is actually, okay, can I list this property? Interesting. That's so I, a good little golden nugget right there. I think if real estate agents were, were to view, you know, opportunities in that way, instead of just how do I go list and make a commission all the time, um, it would get them much more into this investor mindset. It's going to create a lot more success for them in the future for longevity and for, you know, leaving a legacy for their family. Hmm. You haven't thrown out a book yet. I'm used to you throwing out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, within our organization, there's a, there's a gentleman named Brett Tanner who teaches this at a very high level. And, you know, Brett is, I, I think he's kind of the pioneer of this kind of mindset. Okay. And he goes into a lot of depth um, on that particular deal hierarchy and how to approach it. And so, you know, there, you know, the other thing is too, is, you know, you know, selling real estate's great, but there's also, you know, the wholesale and the flip market. And there's also the private lending market. 
And what we've seen, you know, recently is there's a lot of growth in this private lending piece. You talking about like syndication deals or not even necessarily thing? that, but just, you know, investors that need resources are people who are buying um, even their personal home that need resources and they don't fit within the proverbial lending box. Okay. So they need other solutions. And sometimes it's just temporary needs and sometimes it's long term. Give me an example. Uh, so let's say uh, an individual owns multiple businesses, but it hasn't all hit his tax return, or he's writing off a significant amount of that on, on the tax returns. You know, they have DSCR loans out there that could you would buy invest an investment type property that has cash flow. But what if he wants to buy a personal property? He's got plenty of cash. He can put thirty percent down, no problem, mm -hmm. on on a solid home for him and his family. But he can't tick the box right for the income side to be able to support that. So you could have a private lender that comes in and says, hey, I'll give you the 70% financing for you. It's going to cost you a higher interest yeah, rate, yeah. but we're going to be able to get your family in and get you settled in. He might be okay with that at that time because they know, hey, I'm going to refinance in a year or two sure. when my tax returns actually reflect more of the success in business. Hmm. So that's just a, a small example. Hmm. You know? But that that exists all over the board. Um, it exists on the, uh, the kind of the lower end investment market, I would say is there's a lot of homes that you can sell with seller financing. That's another way to create a loan. As you're selling, you know, let's say you buy a home for 80,000, you fix it up and you put, you know, 40,000 in it. You've got 120 in it. You could actually sell it for 180 to 200,000 potentially and then take back a note um, to get a portion of those proceeds over time. They put 30,000 down, you take back the the note for 150,000. Now you're getting, you know, a high interest rate on a note you just created for a long period of time. So it creates quiet passive income we'll have we, we 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 would need a little bit more time to to dive into that because there's some pros and cons Absolutely. with things like that mm -hmm. you sure. know um because you're still taking on the liability right for the financing <clears throat> are you talking about working through a traditional lender for this or you're just financing it yourself yeah i mean there's lots of ways to, to structure this um and but but usually you know you, you or you and partners right would finance this yourself got it okay and and take that on time but that's a little bit different than a traditional financing because th there's caveats with that you know not that, that's it i mean you, you've got to know for how to the note they could call the note due if you've got somebody else on you know lip owning the house, buying it from you. So I like the owner financing idea a little, a yeah. little better. And, you know, again, the, the goal, if it's to make passive income, how do you create notes, which that's, you know, a loan over time, that's passive income coming in. And if they've got a 30% equity position, you, you you really, you know, if you take the property back, so do you. Right. <laughs> if they don't pay. Sure. Um, and if you're in the real estate industry, you already have an opportunity to right side. Yeah. You know, that scenario, resell it, whatever you need to do. So. Are you leveraging like whole life products for this? That's a great way. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, so, you know, whole life is something that a lot of real estate individuals that are investing to, they don't want to put their cash into investments that they get penalized for pulling it out. Yeah. You know, whole life is a really great safe place. Um, I, I, of course, I'm not an investment advisor, but it's a no, really great place that I put it. So. In the, you know, from the Dave Ramsey's of the world. <laughs> You know, Dave Ramsey, he's, he has a very specific audience. Yes, he does. Uh, of get out of debt, cash. right? Um, this so, whole whole life policy piece is how to be your own bank. It's right. a totally different concept. Yeah. Um, there's a really good book on that. Actually, it's called The Banker's Code. There we go. Yeah. Here's my book. Uh, George Antone, uh, fantastic book. He also has another book called The Wealthy Code. Two books I highly, highly recommend okay. to learn about that. Well, I think that's a great place for us to stop unless you have any last minute advice you'd like to give our audience? Um, no, I think that, you know, the only reason you won't grow and get better in life is if you're already believe that you know everything you need to know to be successful. 
And so the one thing that I feel like has allowed me to grow is to continuously learn from others, take a model if there is one, read about it, and then immediately go and do. In taking action, right? I've, I've lost a whole lot more money than I ever invested in college on taking action. Sure. But I've also learned so much more that can roll toward the future. So I think sometimes just getting the best information you can, don't get into analysis paralysis, and then take action. You know what? That is interesting that you said that. <laughs> because, you know, I, I have to become vulnerable when I'm asking you questions. You know, like I asked you, what is co uh, this cost segregation? I don't know what it is. Sure. And, you know, some people could say, well, Tamara, why don't you know what that is? You know, and make me look stupid. But, you know, go into people and being vulnerable about asking for information. Can you help me understand what this is or how I can leverage this? So there is a certain amount of you've got to be able to be open with people asking questions, right? And you I always it. believe there's no stupid question. Maybe there is, but, well, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to ask whatever question I need to ask to understand a concept or understand what, what steps I want to take next. And you've always been very very valuable to me. So thank you for that. Well, and always I, being willing I to attribute to that me. to your massive personal growth that you've had mm -hmm. is, you know, number one, allowing yourself to stay into curiosity, but number two is to keep the, you know, the ego aside, right. And just go and learn and yeah. grow and not be afraid of judgment because who cares at the end of the day, we're right. all on this mission, this path to try to get better and better. Well, and the other thing that is also very important about what you said is analysis paralysis, because I've talked to several people lately, you know, potential investors, and they're like, I read this book and this book and this book, and then I did this and I did this and then this, and I go, when are you going to buy a house? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how you really learn. Yeah, that's Experiential when you really learn. Experiential learning. Yeah. <laughs> you got so, it. So, you know, look, I understand doing due diligence, and I have respect for that, okay? I, I understand wanting to understand as much about a process before you stip your, st stick your toe in. However, you're never going to really know until you do it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, too, you try to limit your risk on those first, those early deals, partner yeah. up, yeah. you know, shadow somebody, but do it. You got to get into the game. Do it. Because that's how all this conceptual theoretical learning comes into, you know, the forefront. Sure. And when you do have money on the line, you follow your money a lot closer, you know, at that point. And you follow that experience, which is allows you to really learn. Well, look, not everything I've pulled the trigger on do I think today was probably could I've done better. Highly, what I know now, I didn't know then, kind of thing. Yeah. But the the nice thing about real estate and DFW is there's always an opportunity to get out of what you're in and go find a better opportunity. There's always opportunities here. Yep, that's right. Well, and again, too, if you don't start, right, you're never going to level up to mm -hmm. the point where you're truly growing, you know, real passive income. I, you got to get started. All right, people, level up. That's where we're going to leave it today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lance, for being my guest. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah. And that is another episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. Again, I'm your host, Tamara Gady. If you like my content, you're really going to love my escrow team. So let's get a conversation going about your title needs. And you guys make it a great day. Mm -hmm.